Amen. I'll take that. Welcome again this morning. Um, I hope you guys are having a great week and enjoying the what seems to be fall starting to set in. It's super exciting. Football is starting to set in. Also super exciting. How many of you guys spent a little time yesterday watching a little football? Yes. Yeah, go heels. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, ushers. Ushers? Ushers are out, I think, having donuts somewhere. Oh, gosh, go Packers. Wow. All right. Uh, you guys want to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 and 4. We're going to read a fair amount of um, this story t- this morning, Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is, most of you probably know it as the story of Moses and the burning bush. Um, it's interesting. We call it Moses and the burning bush all the time. We refer to it as that. And that's not the most interesting part of the story or the most impactful part of the story. It is by far the strangest part of the story because it's a bush that's on fire but not really on fire. And uh, I don't know if that messes with your mind, but it messes with my mind that the, you know, the bush was on fire but it, it wasn't burning up. So does that really mean the bush was on fire? I don't, I don't know, but it's a story that I've been wrestling with. And part of the story I've been wrestling with for far too long that probably doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, but we're going to dig into this story. This story is um, kind of near and dear to uh, my heart and Joanna's heart. This is um, a, a passage of Scripture, that this chapter 3 and chapter 4, that um, when we were young, a long time ago, and in ministry um, doing mission work, that God really placed um, this idea on our heart. We were actually on a trip in Africa in the middle of the Democratic Republic of Congo. And when I mean in the middle, I mean about as in the middle of a country that you can get in the middle of. And we were there, and it was a bunch of us from Russia, a bunch of us that were working in Russia at the time. We were there, and uh, we were with our our friend, Demiri, who had a a ministry in the middle of the DR Congo. And then we had a driver of this little van that had um, no tread on the tires. These are all things that I can remember very clearly. And we were in this van, so it was me and Joanna and Mike Anacoli and his wife. And then we had this 15, was she 15? 15 or 16-year-old little girl with us. Um, and we were on the road to, we were on our way to Demetri's house, way out in the middle of the DR, um, Batembu, right? Is that where we're going? Huh? His house, yes, we were going to his house, sorry. So my memory's a little fuzzy. fuzzy. We were on the way there, and in the middle of our trip, our driver... The bus begins to break down and break down here and there. And our driver decides this isn't a good idea anymore. And he stops the van, gets out, and leaves. Right. Um, so let me, let, me rephrase, uh, let me refresh your memory. So I'm there. I'm from South Carolina. Joanne's there. She's from North Carolina. Mike's there. He's from Connecticut. Dimitri's there. He's from there, but he doesn't drive. He doesn't know how to drive. A vehicle. And so Mike, the guy from Connecticut who's lived in Russia, he says, I'll drive. And he begins to drive, and then the van breaks down. And we're sitting in the van, and it's completely broken down. And we were in the middle of, at the time, war-torn DR Congo. And I'll, I'll never forget, Mike is, is my height, or he's a little taller than me, and super, super skinny. And he got really hot. It was pretty hot, so he takes his shirt off. And uh, he's also from, been in Russia for about 20 years. In Russia, the sun doesn't really shine. So Mike is, you know, a supernatural kind of white at the time. And this guy comes riding up on his bicycle. And um, he looks at Mike, and Mike looks at him. He screams and runs away. 
never in his life had seen a white guy. And never again in his life will he see somebody probably that white. Um, so we were, we were in this van, and, and we started praying with the van, and the van just miraculously starts up, and we start going, and it's starting to get dark. And, um, again, Africa, in the middle of, I mean, honestly, there's just planes everywhere. You, you, know, you know there's lions out there. You know there's, you know, ele- elephants. You know that there's all kinds of stuff. There's also guys probably with guns, and there's just all kinds of danger. And the one guy that's from there, obviously, he should know where we're going, but he didn't. And so Mike is driving along, and Demiri is sitting in the passenger seat, and we get to a fork in the road, and Mike goes, which way? And Demiri goes, I don't know, just go. And we would just go. He would just take a left or he'd take a right. We'd come to another fork. There's a lot of forks in the road. And every single time, he would say, I don't know, just go. We're going to his house, which is kind of all, all kinds of terrifying and concerning. And, and I think at the time, we were a little bit oblivious to maybe how much danger we might have been in. Um, but it was amazing. We drove through the night and ended up at Demetri's house. And never once was there a direction like, hey, this is the side you should go, or here's the turn you should make. It was always just go. And from that moment on, that stuck in our, our hearts and our minds, this idea of just going. And so I began to look it up and trying to find this idea in the Bible, and sure enough, there it is. Right here in, in Exodus chapter 3, it is the story of Moses and the burning bush. And so a lot of you, I'm sure, have heard this story. So I hope this morning that there will be some fresh revelation given to you by God as we read through this story and talk about what God desires in our lives and what he wants to communicate to us and how he wants to lead us. If you've never heard this story, welcome, because this is an incredible story of God revealing himself and inviting us to participate in what he has. And then we're going to start, we're going to read most of it. I'm going to paraphrase some of it. We're going to start right at the very beginning, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Everybody there on your phones or in your Bibles? It says this, Now Moses was tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses replies, here I am. And God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. It's quite interesting. In this, the first two paragraphs, you get this idea and, and that you see that God is drawing Moses' attention through this burning bush. And it's a way that, that he, he gets his attention and gets him to come closer and gets him to look. But even though we classify and, and often refer to this as the burning bush story, this really isn't about the burning bush at all. This is about God revealing himself to Moses. And it's incredible what happens, because what he says is, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he says this because Moses understands exactly what that means. He knows who the God of his fathers are, the God of Abraham and how he moved in Abraham's life, the God of Isaac and how he moved in Isaac's life, and the God of Jacob and, and what he did through Jacob. 
And so he reveals himself so that Moses knows exactly who he's in the presence of. And it's then that Moses realizes, wow, this is God. And I don't know if I can look at him. And I am in fear. And this isn't that kind of fear like I'm afraid of my father or I'm afraid something bad's going to happen. But the realization of the holy God, of the one true God. And that's what happens in our life, and that's what should happen. I think sometimes we lose that sense of the holiness, the purity of God, the awe and wonder of God. But for Moses, it wasn't. As soon as God revealed himself that I am the God of your fathers, Isaac, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he knew and he understood that this is a holy place. So he tells them, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. When you were with God, you were standing in the holiness, in the presence of him. And the Lord said, this is verse 7, if you're following along, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up into the land, into good, the land that is good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, 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 that's okay, Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. This is how God often works. Now go. In, In our life, it was just go. This is how God often works. He says, here's the problem. And I am calling you, I want you to go. You see it time and time again. All through the New Testament, when he called the disciples, there wasn't a whole lot of detail to it, right? It was, come follow me. And they said, yes. When he commanded Peter to get out of the boat, he just said, come to me. And here, this is what God does. And this is how he often works. He just says, go. And then we do exactly what Moses does. He says, I'm sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He says, I've heard their cry that's come to my heart. I am coming to deliver them. I am coming to set them free. I'm going to take them into the promised land. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then God replies, not really even answering his question. He doesn't say, oh, let me tell you who you are. You are a mighty man. You are this or you are that. He doesn't say that. He says, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought them out of Egypt, you will worship me here on this mountain. And then Moses says to God again, suppose I go. How many of us (laughs) in our life, this is desperate in, in my life, I want to know at all times what God has for me, what God wants me to do this day or tomorrow, or five years in the future, whatever, whatever it is. I desperately want that in my life. And then God speaks to it, and then I begin to question, right? That's what Moses does. God is telling him exactly what his will is in his life, and God, Moses is like, who am I? And then he goes, oh, listen, I understand you're going to be with me. I understand this is what you're called, but suppose I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to, to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? He wants the details. He wants to know, what am I supposed to do? And the one fascinating 
One of the most fascinating things about this story to me is, unlike most stories and most accounts of, of God calling somebody, God provides actually a tremendous amount of detail to Moses that he often doesn't. But it doesn't stop Moses from asking more and more. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. There's a whole incredible sermon tied up in there. So he gives them the answer. Who, who am I supposed to say that sends me? I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is the name to which I'm to be remembered from generation to generation. So he says to Moses, when you go, first go to the Israelites and tell them who it is that sent you. And to the Israelites, he doesn't say I am. To the Israelites, he says, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Because that brings peace to the Israelites because they know. They know what that means, like uh, Moses did. They know what God did in Abraham's life and Isaac's life and Jacob's life. And so they know that that is the God of the promise. That is the God of redemption. That is the God who saves. He said, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you. I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery into Egypt, into the land that I have promised, the land flowing with milk and with honey. The elders will listen to you, he says, and then you and the elders will go to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And he goes on to tell them, to tell Moses, look, when you go to the Egyptians, they're not going to listen. They're not going to let you go unless a mighty hand comes against them. He begins to tell Moses all of these details, that they're not going to let you go unless a mighty hand comes against them. So I will bring the mighty hand, he says. I will show them signs and wonders that will make them let you go. And he begins to give them all of these details. Amazing. I hope that's what you long for, right? I know I lo I'm not even a detailed person, but when God talks to me, I want more details than I normally want in the rest of my life. I don't require a lot of details unless evidently, you know, God creator of the universe wants to talk to me, and then for some reason, I need to question everything. So he gets all these details, and what does Moses say? What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And it's funny because God just got done telling Moses, they're not going to listen to you, and I'm going to have to do this. And then he, probably like most of us in this room, asked the same question that he just answered because we are terrified and we are untrusting. Or we want God to tell us what to do, but we want it to line up with our own plans and our own ideas. And then he goes on to tell him, what's that in your hand? And, and he says, this is my staff. And he Moses, uh, God says Moses, tells Moses, throw the staff down. If you know the story, the staff turns into a snake. And then like any man should do, he runs away from the snake. And then of all places that Moses doesn't ask a question, God looks at him and says, okay, pick the snake up by the tail. All the questions he asks, and he doesn't question that. He just goes and grabs the snake. I would have been running. That would have been the end of the story. There would have been just chapter 3 and not chapter 4 and I'd been going straight to chapter 5. But he does. He goes and he picks up, he picks up the snake and, 
and it turns back into a staff. And he says, and if they don't believe that, put your hand inside your cloak and take your hand out. And his hand was leprous, says white as snow with leprosy. Put your hand back in your cloak, he says. And he takes his hand out and it's restored. And then he says, if they don't believe that, you take some water out of the Nile and you put it on the ground and it will turn to blood. So again, he just keeps telling Moses all of these things that are going to happen. And he's showing him all the details and all the stuff that is going to happen and how he's going to be part of delivering the Egyptians. And then Moses comes back to him, so excited about this opportunity. He says, oh, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you and I have spoken. I am slow to speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight? Who makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. And so the, the Lord is so patient with him. The Lord is taking his time, and Moses is asking question after question, detail after detail, and, and, and building up fear in his life. And yet God is quite patient with him and says, listen, I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to speak through you. Is it not I that gave you your mouth? Is it not I that gave you breath? Is it not I that decide who is, who is blind and who is not? Isn't it I, the Lord, that commands and controls all these things, I am with you. And then Moses, one more time, comes to him and says, Oh, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord is a little bit angry. It says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses and said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and you will teach what to. Do, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, and as if he were your were God to him. But take this staff in your hand, so you can perform the miraculous signs. I can't imagine a better circumstance in my life than going to God and God beginning to download a plan. That is something I, I desperately always am seeking for and, and wanting. And yet I'm very, very confident that a lot of my response would be very similar to Moses. That as he downloads the plan, I begin to question and I begin to doubt. And as I was reading through this passage again and again, I began to realize the problem with Moses and the problem with me and the problem with the, uh, those of you who struggle in this area is we start in the wrong place. And God is trying to get him to the right place. If you look at every single time he asks a question and God gives an answer, Moses starts from the place of, I'm not qualified. And God answers from the place of, but I am. Every single time. Moses' biggest problem is not what he's called to do or who's calling him to do it. It's he is starting with, how am I going to do this? And I can't, that's where we start from more often than not. When God begins to speak in our lives and begins to call us to do something, if it's big or if it's small, the first thing we tend to do is look at, can I do this? And what God is saying to him, you know, in all of these answers is basically no. No, you can't. 
But that's okay because you're not supposed to. You're just supposed to go because I am going to do it. The promises that he made to the Israelites weren't promises from Moses. They were promises from God that I will take you into the land flowing with milk and honey. That I will deliver you from the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will do these things. This isn't Moses. Moses is meant to just be a vessel. You and I are meant to just be vessels. That when God calls us, we go. This is an invitation from God creator. He reveals himself to Moses and then invites him to help deliver the people of Israel. And Moses doesn't have to do anything but say yes. To say yes and to go. God promises, I will be with you. I will teach you what to say. I will show you what to do. I will bring the heavy hand that's needed to deliver on the promise that I made to him. And so the question I have for you this morning, the question that I've been asking myself is, am I willing to just go? Am I willing, when God begins to speak, to just step out? Or am I starting with myself and thinking, I, I can't do this? See, because God often calls us to do things that don't even necessarily line up with our gift set. A lot of times God will say for us to do something, and we can excuse it because we think, oh, well, I'm not gifted to do that. That's not part of the gifting that God has given me. And this is, I'm not saying that gifting is not important and talents aren't from God and, and that we don't, shouldn't operate in those and, and that's part of God's leading in our life. But there are often times when God begins to call you into something that he knows for sure that you are going to question yourself about. Because he wants to do something so grand and so glorious that nobody else can take credit for it but him. There's no credit that Moses could have, have taken. And if you continue to read the story, he actually tried to, and it didn't work very well for him and the rest of the people when their three-day journey began to turn into something much, much longer. But God wants to do something in our life that points solely to him. And so he wants you to be part of that. And so what he's asking you is he's saying, will you be part of this? I have an invitation. I have a gift for you. And our question and our responsibility is to respond, yes. Yes, Lord, I will step out in faith. Yes, Lord, I will move. Yes, Lord, I will do this. Yes, Lord, I will do that. And we begin to watch God move. Because God is a God of promises. And so when he says to Moses, I will be with you, it means I will be with you. When he says to Moses, I will deliver them and I will bring my hand against the Egyptians, it means he will do it. And when he says, I will teach you and I will show you and I will tell you what to say along the way, it means he will do it. The question is, are we willing to get over ourselves? So that when he calls, the first thing we look at is he who is calling versus the person that he's calling. Because I'm pretty sure God is fairly smart. And so that when he calls you, he knows exactly what he's doing. That he's not guessing. He's not hoping. He's not wondering, oh, I don't know if they can pull this off or not. He knows what he's doing. And so when he calls you, we need to be assured. That's God. I don't need to look at, at myself. I don't need to look at my shortcomings or what I think is my giftings and make this about me. I need to respond. 
I call it a gift. That God is offering you a gift. He offered Moses here a gift of being able to be part of his kingdom plan, to be part of bringing redemption to people, to be part of leading them from slavery. And it's a gift that we have every single day that God is asking us to do, to bring the love of Christ of those around us, the the joy and the peace and the hope to a lost and broken world. But we must start looking at him when we're called, not looking at ourselves. In in a week or two, we're going to begin a new series, and we're going to be traveling right through the first part of Acts and talking about living by the Spirit, day-to-day living by the Spirit. And so I want us to gear our hearts to be ready for that because that really does mean getting over our shortcomings and our giftings and being able to lay everything down. And so when God says, I need you to do this, we can just say, yes, Lord. When God says, I need you to go here, we can say, yes, Lord, because we know that he is faithful. We know that he has incredible plans for our lives and for this world. And we're called to be vessels. And so our challenge is that we don't waste time and effort questioning and wondering and being like Moses, where he is fearful and uncertain, but yet we begin to walk in boldness and that we begin to just say yes, that we begin to respond to the call that God has and that he's inviting us to be partners with him and what he's doing here in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have come to save and redeem the lost, Lord. And I thank you that you desire to use us every single day. Lord, I pray for each person here that they would be bold and courageous in their pursuit of you. Lord, that they would be willing to focus on you, that we would be willing to steady our gaze on you when we're called. That we won't question, we won't wonder, we won't be tossed about by the waves, Lord. That we won't be like Peter when he took his eyes off you and began to trust himself and fell in the water, Lord. That we would stay focused on you knowing, Lord, that you have a plan, that you are with us, and that you will follow through on all your promises. Lord, I just thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. We're going to continue.